Colin Peacock from Midweek Media Watch. Hi, Karen. Good holiday? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. I had a, um, a pretty decent break. Went on a couple of cycling trips uh, where there was um, kind of no opportunity really to engage with the media. <laughs> it was really in the middle of nowhere. Um, I usually do try and pick up local papers, get a bit of local media places where I am, but this time it was, it was really difficult. I just wasn't in enough small towns and often it was pretty much impossible to find a local paper. So pretty much, um, yeah, break from the media really. It's supposed to be on holiday, Colin. Yeah, I am actually, I did make a couple of trips while I was off work, but in Wellington to a place I think you're featuring later this hour, the tip shop in Wellington. Yes, that's right. Yep, I'll get my bike tyres there. People check out or recycle some pretty decent high quality tyres with a bit of tread that are good for um, doing up old bikes. So oh, good to know. There. Yeah, but yeah. one thing when I was saying I do try to pick up on local media when I do get out of my urban bubble uh, in the summer, while I found it hard to get local news, I did see quite a few sort of QAnon anti-media banners about the place, sometimes in the middle of nowhere, and um, a fair few banners and billboards for counterspin media, the sort of conspiracy-based um, far-right outlet, so that wasn't so great. The the most alarming one was in Tomananui. It was right in the middle of the main street, a thing the size of a you know, a two-car garage, just about right in the main street opposite the police station. What did it say? Oh, that one was... The weird thing about it was it had the Labour Party slogan right at the top. It almost looked like a, a Labour billboard. What? And as you get closer... Some of your listeners will have seen this right there in the main drag. Uh, but it had... Um, it was about the baby in what they call the tainted blood case. Oh, yes. uh, you know, the one where they wanted vaccine-free donors to supply the... Um, for the for the baby's surgery and it said you know it's our our baby your baby our choice was the slogan so basically saying you know labor is interfering in this this case which you know counterspin media got and then if you looked at the billboard from the the back end it was a kind of triangle sort of pyramid shape thing uh it was saying it was claiming to be the people's platform offering fact based uh, evidence based journalism but i don't think that's really what counterspin offers last year after your summer break the, we spoke about some of the local and low power fm radio stations that you came across on your travels what about this time yeah, no, not not this time because I wasn't driving and able to tune um, the radio and pretty much impossible to pick up on a bike. But I did take one car trip through Whanganui and um, you got old Roxy Radio, um, which is on um, Glasgow Street off Som Parade on that side of the river. That's claims to be Whanganui's oldest private station. That's still going. Um, and I, I looked online to see if it was actually doing a live stream yet, but I don't think it is. I think you really have to be in the vicinity to hear it. But it's quite cool. It's, it's good, the great mix of music that it plays. And when I was looking it up online, I saw on the very same frequency um, is on Palmerston North is 2XS. So they um, regard themselves as a bit of a sister station, I think, and we're offering them congrats. And 2XS runs on solar power. Can I read you this rather stirring Facebook post that they put out to their local businesses to excess. Yeah, please do. Yeah, they said this. Uh, firstly, we are locally owned, not by a group of investors bleeding local money away from our economy. Who is that really helping? And then they said, secondly, we are locally managed and make decisions and can react immediately to our listeners and clients without having to get the OK from a program director or whatever flashy middle management title they give themselves who's based in Auckland. <laughs> and then thirdly, really laying it on here, we are not network from Auckland. We don't pretend we're local for four hours with the community at the forefront of what we do. And then after those four hours, drop you like a bad date. So if you own a business or know someone who does, consider supporting your local broadcasters. After all, we're here for you with that ad revenue being returned back to the local economy. 
Um, yeah, fighting talk, hey. <laughs> Great piece of copy. <laughs> yeah. Who wrote that? Get them, get them, give them a job. Yeah, two excess uh, Palmerston North. So tough news for staff of a bigger radio broadcaster this week, though. MediaWorks uh, staff uh, warning staff that jobs are going to go. Yeah, not not good New Year news uh, from them. This the, was the chief executive Cam Wallace from MediaWorks uh, in an email to staff that quickly became widely reported, saying up to ninety roles will go, uh, including ones that are currently vacant. Apparently, um, you know, some dozens of jobs that are uh, maybe have have been deliberately held vacant there. I, I don't know, but uh, that will be included in this, and that's that's pretty big of in a company that we don't know for sure, but we estimate would be around about five hundred people strong. Um, so if you go back a couple of years or a little bit more, uh, May 2020, and of course that was in the COVID lockdown period, um, commercial media then were really not knowing what the impact was going to be of lockdowns, but clearly it wasn't good at that time. A lot of them were talking about rescoping their businesses um, to adjust to that. So MediaWorks at that time cut 130 people, um, so even bigger. That of course was at a time when it was a much bigger company. It owned uh, TV3 and the other associated TV channels that have since been sold on to um, the Discovery uh, and now twinned up with Warner Brothers Company um, that operates um, 3 and Bravo and those other channels now. But MediaWorks currently does still own you know, half of the country's radio stations, roughly. Big music networks like The Edge, The Breeze, The Rock and uh, the talk radio outfit uh, Today FM the streaming rover platform as well. And the other part of the business actually is uh, QMS, which is a billboard outdoor advertising business as well. But, you know, economic conditions being what they are, that will be uh, getting squeezed as well. Nothing new there then, really. Uh, They had a stretch at one time where they had uh, six-month contracts, no contracts at all. So really it's all about the money, isn't it, or lack of? Yeah, yeah, I think cost-cutting is basically the name of the game. And that email to staff, as reported in the media um, from Tuesday, was uh, quoting Cam Wallace, the chief executive, saying, we're not immune to the impacts of current economic factors and a likely recession this year and a dampening of demand from advertisers across the board. But he made the point in that email that staff were two-thirds of uh, media work, uh, works costs, um, or well, the, the labour-related, I think, was the term he used. So <clears throat> if you look at last year's figures, uh, the, the revenue is still there for the company, $203 million, uh, which is fairly healthy, but the expenses also rose up to $205 million, so um, a bit of a deficit there. And it was noted by a lot of commentators uh, on this news saying, look, there were a lot of millions, something reportedly between 6 and $9 million dollars, getting the new talk station Today FM running earlier um, last year. So um, that uh, that's certainly true, but they would have had ongoing costs from their existing and previous talk station as well. So I think the, the point is that radio is still a lucrative business, but overall revenue is hard to grow. There's another big aggressive competitor in that market. It's kind of a duopoly, the NZME radio stations and you know clearly costs are rising along with everything else and every other business and ad income is likely to fall across the board you know because of that crowded radio market always has been in New Zealand what what are the um the numbers for today FM how are they doing in surveys well the, the last surveys weren't great so the listeners had had fallen from uh, the previous one but it's a little bit hard to measure because as the company itself has pointed out when reporting on those uh, soft results, let's call them. Uh, previously, the station was called Magic Talk, and it was twinned up 
with a music station, Magic Music. So it made it really hard to decouple um, the the figures. But you know, clearly, it's it's talk radio opponent in commercial terms. News Talk ZB still has a very big audience and a strong lead on it. So yeah, it hasn't really paid off yet by any means. But last September, when those uh, I think the the most recent um, quarterly results came out that the station made a point of saying this is a long-term play for us you know we won't know how it's tracking really until we have a few more surveys so you know they're saying they're committed to it and it was you know some commentators appointed to the amount of money they may or may not have spent setting it up and that that would have made their financial problems a bit more acute um they're saying you know that's an investment in the long term and you know if you're going to be a major you know one of two major commercial radio broadcasters in a national market like this you know i guess they're figuring you know you have to have a credible effective uh, talk talk radio station of some kind at least hr will be very busy then at the moment yeah, well, well, so far they seem to be following that kind of, you know, it doesn't sound too cynical, but the kind of HR playbook uh, that media companies or even perhaps any company where staff is, is the major cost and asset, um, you know, first they announce they're going to have to do this and they give staff uh, an indication of, you know, how, how big it might be, hence saying up to 90 roles in this case, um, rather than trying to fudge that. And then they say, look, they're consulting with their staff and they won't be able to talk about it uh, to other media or other um, stakeholders or whatever until they've done that, to be to be fair to them and perhaps not to jeopardise their own position by saying something that might make those negotiations or consultations um, a bit more awkward. So, yeah, I don't expect they'll be talking about it publicly in, in the coming weeks. And then somewhere down the track, we'll find that, you know, staff have been informed that, you know, a plan is going ahead. But, you know, there were some comments, you know, some phrases in those, um, in that statement from the chief executive talking about, uh, and in fact, one that was released to an RNZ after they inquired, talk, talking about rescoping their company and uh, reviewing our operating model, and that that does sound a little ominous, as if you know they will actually be reconsidering what they're investing in, and, and possibly you know considering at least closing some services or networks. Do you think it's like the delayed effects of the pandemic as well as cost cutting? And is it an indication of pressure on other media companies? Yeah, well, other media companies will certainly be looking at it because some of those same pressures, you know, will be uh, occurring to them if advertising across the board softens and, you know, consumer confidence falls as well as, you know, the marketers and media buyers that that send the money around. So if you go back to... um, Last year, the Business Desk uh, organisation did an interview with Cam Wallace as well, and they wrote about um, Oak Tree Capital, the private equity firm that has a, the biggest stake in media works. And uh, their writer, Daniel Dunkley, made the point that you know a lot of these vulture funds that buy these these assets like media companies for, for possibly a lower price in the market, they you know they obviously buy them wanting to sell them on, and that um, Oak Tree's owned it for a lot longer than most funds you would expect to hold them. So they probably want to get it in shape to sell. But yeah, if you go back to um, October, Cam Wallace gave uh, Business Desk a fairly um, kind of bleak assessment saying it's it's taken several months for the weaker economy to felt through the ad market. It's building now. Um, the effects of higher inflation will kick in and trickle into the ad market. Discretionary spend uh, for consumers and travel and entertainment, that's all going to slow down. So he was giving that warning in October last year, and that was just one month after. Some of their other executives were saying, uh, after you know trumpeting good results for their music networks and the audience survey saying look things are getting better you know entertainment events are happening consumer confidence you know everything's moving again um 
Uh, yeah, the, the commercial director said in September, COVID restrictions are lifting, life's returning to normal, people are moving and spending, you know, painting a very positive picture. But, you know, the chief executive was saying things in October that were mirrored in that statement about the job cuts that came out uh, on Tuesday. And uh, some changes here at RNZ for the new year, Colin. Um, the merger is uh, still on, on or off the table. We don't know yet, but uh, staff changes. Yeah, staff changes and programming changes. So um, there will be two uh, new voices from Auckland uh, on Morning Report. Ingrid Hipkiss uh, will be one of the main Morning Report presenters alongside Corinne Dan broadcasting out of Wellington. And she's you know well known from uh, days on television with... Um, with MediaWorks and, and TV3. And uh, also the current host of First Up, Nathan Rariri, he's going to be a sports presenter for Morning Report. In fact, he's, he's been on already. So a, a more sort of uh, engaged and lively and perhaps non-traditional uh, sports style coming in as a presenter rather than a sports news reader or bulletin reader, uh, but also out, out of Auckland. And that's something RNZ's wanted to do for a while, make that uh, morning program sound like it's got more of an Auckland presence. Uh, other changes coming up, though, um, Marnie Dunlop, uh, it's been announced uh, she's uh, going to leave in, I think, mid-March. And uh, she's been with RNZ for more than 10 years now. She's the uh, current producer and presenter of uh, the Midday News, Te Porongo o Te Potatanga. She, she's had other roles too, like Māori News Director. And, you know, in the more than a decade that she's been here, she's done a lot to um, bring more te ao Māori and te reo Māori knowledge to um, other reporters as well. So she will be much missed. And Napier-based reporter Tom Kitchen, he's going to be uh, one of the new hosts of the co-production The Detail. So, yeah, also an opportunity for someone in the Hawke's Bay to report for RNZ. And an ex-RNZ appointed to the top job at the Capitals Daily Paper. Yeah, uh, Caitlin Cherry, former head of content at RNZ National. Uh, before that, um, we were colleagues on Morning Report about oof, almost 20 years ago when I first pitched up at um, RNZ. Uh, and I think she hadn't joined that long before me as well. Um, she actually left RNZ, I think it was about two years ago now, maybe less, and has been the head of content at Consumer. Um, but yeah, now appointed to succeed uh, Anna Fifield at the Dom Post. And she uh, has gone back to the Washington Post, who she worked for uh, before being appointed at the Dom Post. But she's going to be their Asia-Pacific editor, uh, but covering that entire region um, from uh, here in Wellington. Well, you're a Wellingtonian, Colin. How's the appointment gone down? Well, uh, I think Caitlin hasn't started yet. I think her social media posting shows she's uh, still on holiday. I think that's right. But uh, Anna Fifield's been farewelled already. But interestingly, one former editor of the paper has expressed a concern about Caitlin's appointment. Um, that's Carl Dufresne on his blog. He points out that she's got no print experience, uh, he believes, and this could be a first for uh, a major New Zealand daily paper. Now, he might be right about that. I don't know. But you know, he wrote it like, this could be a move so bold and visionary, its brilliance isn't immediately obvious. On the other hand, it could be just plain dumb. It could be interpreted, says Carl, as confirmation that stuff isn't really interested in print. And the company often gives the impression, he says, intentionally or otherwise, that it regards newspapers as an encumbrance. So I don't know, but look, these days when so much production is digital and the content also multimedia, you know, stuff has a digital first policy. I, I don't know whether that distinction is really as important as uh, as he suggests. And of course, part of the business at Consumer is also producing that monthly magazine for the members, which goes back all the way, I think, 
to the 1970s, which is a print product. And Caitlin will be well aware of that newspaper dilemma that even in the digital age, the local papers and their display ads still bring in more money than um, digital advertising and content. And she's spent a lot of time in and around newsrooms and knows, you know, even if it's not a print newsroom, knows absolutely about that kind of nexus between entertaining stuff and feature type material and investigation and outright hard news. She understands that very, very well and lived, I think, you know, at least the last 20 years that I've known her here in Wellington, deeply embedded in the place. And yeah, I think she'll attack that job with uh, with gusto. Well, I'm assuming that the Prime Minister resigning reached you wherever you were during your break. Uh, but did the timing catch you out along with the rest of the media? Well, I was back from the back blocks with my bike. So I was back in Wellington when it actually happened. But I was out, actually out on a bit of a bike ride um, uh, on my holiday uh, when it happened. I arrived home to find out um, uh, that it, when the news was a couple of hours old. Um, but it, that's part of the story in a way, watching a media that wasn't tuned up for the year, you know, half of it's still on holiday, uh, trying to scramble to um, cover a big political story. And, uh, you know, I did think about Tova O'Brien on Today FM. I th- I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. She she began the day before because I heard her on the air and she was overjoyed to be back uh, on the air. And I, th- I was thinking about a year earlier when she was prevented from being on air because of her restraint of trade uh, clause enforced by her former employer. So she couldn't actually start broadcasting till March. Um, but this time she was, you know, back on air with her daily show earlier than, you know, a lot of other broadcasters or, or regular shows. But, you know, the MPs were caught out as well because they were at their caucus retreat in Napier and many of them appeared to be uh, absolutely taken by surprise by the news. And Chris Hipkins this week told the AM show the PM had given him a sort of a heads up about what she might be thinking. Um, but he clearly didn't look dressed <laughs> for facing the cameras when News Hub's political reporter Amelia Wade caught up with him in Napier in the street with um, her camera rolling. Well, don't interview me with them in my tracksuit. It's not fair. <laughs> um, how are you feeling today? Good. Very good. It's a beautiful day in Napier. I'm enjoying some fresh air. Do you have a lot of support for the to uh, step in as leader? Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. And I will see you at the airport when I'm appropriately dressed. And I'd be very happy to, uh, to talk to you at that point. Surprised she recognised him. Uh, black hoodie, wraparound sunglasses and, a, and a, um, like a baseball cap. Yeah, speed dealer sunnies, I think some people <laughs> right. call them. But yeah, the, the same with Michael Wood, right? He was filmed in Napier and tracked down by the media making phone calls in the street wearing what I think looked like a kind of short-sleeved um, casual shirt. Anyway, let's put it like that, a, a wide-brim sun hat, sunglasses, you know, not looking especially, you know, political or prime ministerial. But I, it, maybe I'm going to sound like a bit of a crank with this, but, you know, a lot of political reporters memed this and it was all over social media very quickly and jokes and captions and stuff. And obviously this is a side issue and in no way a biggie, but I just thought it was a bit lame in that, you know, MPs should be able to wear what they want. They're at a work do, off-site, summertime. I just don't think reporters should have seized on it and made a big deal of, I mean, what they were wearing. And I, I do wonder if, if the tables were turned, if MPs decided to, you know, pump out on their social feeds, you know, mocking pictures and of what the reporters were wearing when, you know, they were at work in the summer. Would they like that? <laughs> Labour have played up to it very well, though. They've got the hat and the sunnies on trade me. Yeah. Uh, and they're using the exposure to sort of embellish Hipkin's boy from the hut identity. I see it's up to $1,550, both of them, the cap and the sunnies, $1,550 yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I think, raising funds for the Labour Party. I think I'm right about that. So, yeah, if, if maybe they are only too happy to get the 
the uh, reporter's attention on on the clothing. But you know, this is from the uh, the text of the the trade entry. Your bidding on the cap and Sonny's Hipkins wore in this iconic early morning interview about being uh, becoming Labor's new leader. You know, black and wraparound hut issue headgear gives you the cred to hustle a great new price on new mags. Audition for West Side season seven or become prime minister. I don't look. Yeah, obviously it's a joke, but you know, I just think honestly think one of the good things about New Zealand is that hardly anybody cares what anybody else looks like or wears, especially in summertime. And I just think everyone, even MPs, should have the right to go casual um, without the media or anyone else really making um, a big deal of it. And actually, it isn't just me if, uh, who's feeling cranky about this. Gordon Campbell on Scoop, uh, he had a pop at RNZ's Wallace Chapman uh, on Monday's panellist was uh, for his reaction. Uh, he accused Wallace of a bit of fogeyism. What about uh, the, the, the so-called optics, I guess, Grant? Here you've got a guy who feels very comfortable in a black hoodie, very comfortable in a hat <laughs> and wraparounds. <laughs> I mean, quite something. He obviously does a bit of do- DIY. He's a sort of person you could see down at your local Bunnings. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, the, the bigger issue, obviously, Colin, at stake is clearly the running of the country. Yes. Um, so um, you've said before that political reporters are heavily focused on party leaders, and with the election coming up, uh, the departure of Jacinda Ardern must have sent that into overdrive, hence all this publicity. Yeah, indeed, it, it does. I mean, yeah, I know I have talked about it before. Um, you know, that, that they seem to talk and focus on the leaders so, so much. Um, but, you know, some commentators, interestingly, kind of echoed Nationals' line, or Christopher Luxon, their leader in particular, who was asked, you know, how does this change? He said, well, nothing changes with the change of leader. We've, we've still got the same party to fight uh, and, the, and the same mission in an election year. But I have honestly been surprised by just how definitive some of the political writers and commentators have been in saying that this is, you know, an election-deciding change of leadership. So on the day it happened, last Thursday, I think that's right, um, Patrick Smelly of Business Desk, seasoned writer, the headline on his piece uh, was, Arden's resignation hands the 2023 election to National. He wrote, barring extraordinary incompetence by the National Party, Jacinda Ardern has all but handed the election to a National-led government with her unexpected resignation this morning. Andrea Vance of Stuff, uh, the same day, again, very experienced political writer. Jacinda Ardern and Grant Robertson just conceded the election. That's the headline. Uh, And she wrote, Labour's election hopes just crash-landed. Her popularity, so inextricably linked to the fortunes of the party, leaves a vacuum which her successor will struggle to fill and in which chaos and restless egos will thrive. Ardern was still Labour's best hope against National. Now, you know, her successor wasn't even known at that point. In fact, both those opinions were written before you know, whoever the candidate might be to replace the pair were known to fight the election. It kind of reminded me, like, when Judith Collins won the National Party leadership, you know, then you had political reporters saying, ah, oh, she'll, she'll fight, she'll scrap, this will be a, you know, she'll take on Ardern, this will be a contest in 2020. Of course, events changed, you know, COVID happened and uh, the 2020 election was completely not a contest or not the one they had in mind. Anything could happen between now and October and I just don't know quite why they're so definitive. Did that change at all after they named Chris Hipkins? A little bit. Um, So after Chris Hipkins was selected, Andrea Vance wrote another column, this is for her her regular Sunday Times one in the weekend, Uh, two boring men in suits arguing about the rest route out of a recession might just be the meat and potatoes election we all need. Now, maybe a bit 
tongue-in-cheek there, but again, that focus on the two leaders, you know, two Chris's, you know, as if that's what the contest is. Um, For many voters, again, we're we're people, but they see us as just voters, you know, elections are much more about just the two party leaders and who they might be and how they might argue. We have two votes at election time, vote for a local candidate and a party. Um, Both could have an impact on what the outcome is. It's not just about two leaders that we see so much in the news and the reporting. Um, In the same vein, now that you've triggered me, (laughs) Tracy Watkins in the same paper, the Sunday Star Times, she's a former political editor of stuff, of course, her editorial was headlined, Labour's new leader, a game changer, or the party's death knell, question mark. Um, Now I'm sort of thinking, um, you know, the, the party's death knell, I mean, a change of leader will not be the death knell for a 100-and-something-year movement with thousands of members that's been in government, you know, four or five times. That's ridiculous. I mean, when she says the death knell, that's just a reference to the election, the election prospects. You know, again, I just think they're too focused on the next election and the party leaders that will lead their parties into it. But politics and elections, if you want to focus on those, are so much more than that to, I think, you know, the audience they're talking to. So both commentators and reporters obviously prepared to stick their necks on the line and saying that, you know, no Ardern, no chance for Labour in the election, but obviously at the risk of being wrong. So too much focus on the personalities, not the policies. Yeah, maybe, or, or even the politicians, yeah, even it's not the, but just, just those two, you know, the, those two major party leaders. But I've got one more example. This is one from the radio. So this is Rachel Smalley on Today FM last Friday. Now, by the way, you know, she did actually pick that Ardern would quit before Christmas and wasn't out by much because um, it was, you know, after the break. Uh, so fair play to her. I did point that out on the last Media Watch of last year that Ardern had indeed made it to Christmas uh, uh, in charge. But anyhow, um, on Friday, last Friday on the radio on her Today FM show, Rachel Smalley said she didn't believe that Labour could now stand up without Ardern and say that they had any uh, public mandate to continue to lead. And then she went on to say this. In 2020, we didn't elect Labour. We elected Jacinda Ardern. Make no mistake about that. We gave her a single party majority leadership government. There is, there is no doubt we elected her not Labour. Now, our new Prime Minister will have no option but to channel all of their energy into trying to retain power in an election year. The economy will have to wait. I think that is just a huge stretch. Um, You know, we elected Jacinda Ardern, she says, not not Labour. I mean, a majority of voters picked the Labour Party that Ardern led, and then they picked another local candidate where they lived, who may or may not have been Labour. I just think that's just another example of that sort of very, very intense focus that some in the media have developed with those political party leaders and, you know, absolutely in particular with Jacinda Ardern. Well, with the change of leadership and the political legacy of Jacinda Ardern preoccupying the media, but has there been analysis of her impact on the media and the media's impact on her? Yeah, there's been a little bit, and maybe that's to come. I might try and get into that a bit with the media watch in, in the weekend. But, um, I mean, that, that sort of is appropriate in the grounds that, you know, she was herself a, a media phenomenon. And, of course, you know, the the political writers that do talk about this focus or have this focus on her can point to, you know, the extraordinary rise in the party's fortunes once she became leader, you know, partly because of her presence in the media, and that's undeniable. But, you know, also because of COVID and the national tragedies, you know, uh, Fakari White Island, um, March 15th uh, massacre, um, you know, that gave her, again, so much more media presence. Um, 
and the crisis management coming across that. The spin-offs, Duncan Greaves had a go writing an interesting piece also about Ardern's own handling of, of the mainstream media whilst also uh, using social media and particularly, you know, Facebook Live really interestingly, you know, using that so effectively to, well, uh, to, to communicate with a lot of people, whether it was effective or not, I, I don't know, but certainly willing to use it. Even at the time when she was, you know, joining together an international campaign, the Christchurch called to hold the likes of Facebook and social media accountable for the extremism that they, uh, you know, that they fostered, which, you know, played that role on in March 19th uh, and, and uh, the, you know, the events in Christchurch. Um, so, you know, he also addressed that odd phenomenon of those 1pm press conferences, those exposed, you know, a captive audience to her that was live television day after day, almost every day, uh, every weekday in some weeks, and how the press pack and her both copped criticism for people often seeing, you know, live and raw press conferences in a way they weren't used to seeing. So, for example, you know, one of the media who made an issue, Michael Mora of News Hub, he argued quite cogently that they were ineffective in a way you got a limited chance to ask a question and then there were no more questions answered until maybe the next day's press conference where you may not even get a question in. And that wasn't very effective if you had uh, serious questions about the handling of the, of the COVID response that required answers. And then uh, News Talk ZB's Barry Soper fell out with the Prime Minister over that, you know, the pecking order, the so-called Toba then Jessica thing and who got to ask questions and started to agitate in the press conferences after that. It was interesting, uh, this is the middle of last year, so Jess, um, Jacinda Ardern was asked if she was a media control freak, and it was Jamie Mackay of NZME's Rural Show, The Country, asking the question. Quite a long clip, this, but I think the question and the answer is quite interesting. But do you have favourites? Do you play Jessica and Tova? Because I'll put this to you, Barry Soper and News Talk ZB would have more listeners than, say, News Hub, TV3 or whatever you call them, would have viewers. So this is slightly bordering on their name now. So, uh, yes, I go to those who operate. So I have a press conference at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We know that the TVs have to get their broadcast in at 6. So it's just practical um, because they uh, have broadcast time. That's why I also went to Barry Third that day. He also has a deadline that he runs to. So, no, it's just practical. I think, unfortunately, we've got people who have been doing press conferences for a long time um, uh, who uh, who are now starting to just anal- over-analyse things where there is nothing to analyse. Slightly bordering on their name. Yeah, and it was interesting because it's quite pointed language, you know, so she obviously wanted to push back a little bit on that. But that, that clip uh, was posted by The Country Show on its Facebook page. Over 800 comments in response to it. And just... The vast, vast majority, you know, quite bitter and not convinced by Arden's argument. They, they really said, we have been watching this. She is controlling. They clearly saw it, um, you know, another way. And we've seen a lot of that, you know, sentiment when people talk about, you know, the, the backlash and the, and the waning of um, Arden's popularity or the souring of it or whatever. You know, s- some of it came out in those comments. And as she's trying to say there, that's just a result of... Um, in some cases, of course, there's an element of control. She's leading the press conference and she is directing the questioning, undeniably. But, yeah, people just seeing uh, the press conferences live that they didn't used to see. Qu- quite, a, quite a moment in New Zealand media history, really, and she was at the heart of it. And talking about New Zealand media history, Colin, I just wanted to end on very sad news to hear of the death of Ewing Stevens. Yeah, I wondered if you'd come across him because uh, yes, you, know, you would have been at the same network. Uh, um, yes, I worked with him at Radio Live. He was doing uh, Midnight to Dawn. Just a marvellous man. 
uh, just an absolute true gen- gentleman, brilliant broadcaster. Yeah, I didn't um, actually know uh, about it at all um, because I think he's been off the air uh, for, for some time. But I heard, listening to a bit of uh, News Talk ZB, I heard their um, nostalgia, their weekend show called In My Day. I don't think he's the regular host, Roman Travers, but he referenced uh, Ewing's death uh, like this, and uh, there's a reason that um, Machine Gun by the Commodores, the old Ready to Roll theme, is playing in the background, is because it was that uh, nostalgia show. No other media source, no other media source, has run the story at all, and I find that highly offensive. Ewing Stevens was a broadcaster with over 60 years in the game, and he was loved and listened to by many over the years he spent doing talkback radio. Much-loved host across um, various forms of talkback radio and, gee, 60 years in the game. He was so incredibly popular. Uh, you know, he got those ratings up at that time of night. He was listened to by anyone who was listening to uh, radio in the small hours would be listening to Ewing, and he was such a good broadcaster. Yeah, so he died on Sunday the 15th of January, his 97th year. It was in, in Dunedin. And uh, when I look back, um, found he was at Radio Pacific, you know, the, the original station. I look, he still has a LinkedIn page that's up, which just um, lists his career in two stages. It says, Talkback host, BDUXNZ, from January 1979, so that would have been Radio Pacific, through to November 2015, 36 years, 11 months. So maybe he uh, he stepped back in November 2015. And after that, he lists his occupation as relaxing, retired talkback <laughs> host from November 2015. A lovely man. Gee, oh, rest in peace, Ewing. And, uh, yeah, thank you for so much. He, he used to do voice checks, too, for the staff at, uh, at Live. And uh, he always had, you know, he, he really picked the thing that you needed to know. His expertise was just incredible. Yeah, he got a radio award, New Zealand Radio Award, in 2012 uh, for a lifetime achievement. That was after 56 years on the air. And at that point, he said, I'm planning on remaining in broadcasting until I'm the oldest broadcaster in the world. Uh, so three more years on top of that. He, he might have just made it. You, know, you, um, you never know. Uh, well, I'm really sad to hear that news. But uh, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again soon. Sure thing. Thanks a lot, Karen.